HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Happy Chef Uniforms, the perfect style, whatever your recipe. Visit happychef.com to order your free 2018 catalog. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, jumping in to tell you about this week's episode of Meat and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food roundup. This week, we're introducing you to some amazing women taking a stand. So often, being sexually harassed feels like a loss of control. And so I wanted to have these very tangible guides to say, here's what you can do. Others are pushing for more diversity at major food industry events. I still feel really determined to do, you know, whatever I can to help shift that and in a direction that's not just more diverse, but more equitable. We also have a report on that summer business staple, the lemonade stand. The lemonade stand might be the purest form of starting a business. Low overhead, easy to get into, and requires little experience or special equipment. Don't miss Meat and Three, your weekly 15-minute food news roundup from HRN. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Search M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. And thanks, as always, for listening. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On this week's episode, we are heading to Chicago, where we talk to Chef Diana Davila of Mitakaya, who is a recent winner of Food & Wine's Best New Chef. We talk to her about hearing the sauce and why touching tables is better than reading Yelp reviews. Then we have the band drama, Live in Studio, who tells us why music is a job and why that's a good thing. So sit back, relax, and welcome to another edition of Snacky Tunes. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. I said I didn't need you, I said you love it.
Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. I am in a cold but clear day in Chicago, stranded from New York due to a storm, and I am sitting with uh, Diana Davila at Mitakaya and Tahiria. Thanks for having me. Hey, nice to be here. Yes, we had a great dinner last night. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it was really um, 
Yeah, I'm glad you came. Yeah, the uh, queso fundido with blood sausage is, I think I'm going to think about that. Is there just butter and everything? Is no, it there's no butter. You know, uh, Mexican food doesn't have much butter at all. So that that's just straight ooey cheese and the uh, the uh, moronga, the blood sausage. That's all just from, uh, from uh, pork fat. Mm. It's so good. <laughs> I was like, I think... It's like you don't, you can't do two of those, but you kind of want two of those because on the first one you're just under, like you're like, what am I eating? And yeah. I feel like you, it's like when I was a kid, I would get two slices of pizza, just eat the first one, taste the second one. Yeah, uh huh. And plus, it has the little like the the vegetable picklings to uh, to make you feel better about yourself after eating so much. <laughs> to cut some of that, just to cut to cut some of some acidity. A little bit. <laughs> so you started cooking when you were seventeen. And you used to go shopping with your dad at the markets. What was that like? Where would you go? What is the kind of... And your parents were here in Chicago. So what was the current food scene when your parents had their first restaurant? So it was one of my favorite things to do, really, with uh, my dad. Um, You know, it it was also kind of the time that I got to have, like, my one-on-one time, you know, because both my parents worked a lot. And between, you know, being in school and working a lot, it was, like, our time. And it was the funnest time, you know, like... What sucks about it is that, yeah, you have to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning <laughs> because, you know, you have to, you, at one point, you know, we had like four taquerias and we had to go, we had this jalapenos van and we would go um, um, all over Chicago, really, um, to pick up, you know, tomatoes, chiles, dried, uh, dried chiles, whoever had the new, the new stuff, like the better quality, uh, Fulton Market, Pilsen, Little Village, um, these were the places that we would always visit. But the funnest part about it was really that it would, it, it would always turn into this kind of food extravaganza. Like we would probably have like four breakfasts every, every Saturday. Cause we were like, Oh, there's La Señora con los tamales. And we'd go get tamales. And then we, it's like, Oh, this is my favorite spot to go get huevo rancheros from, you know, uh, or like we'd always stop at different places to, to eat a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, um, yeah, it was always my favorite. When it was cold, we'd get champurrado. When it was like, so it was like a very special time for me. And what did that teach you about produce selection that you still carry on today? What are some of the lessons that you took from those experiences with your dad? Um, you know, he would, um, you know, as, 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 as much as I want to be like, oh, he like handpicked. He was looking at price, you know, like my parents had this place to, I mean, to own a business to, they, it wasn't, um, he, I don't think he was looking to other than avocados. Avocados were his thing. Like he would like, you know, I remember all the time he'd always be like, no, this is avocados no están buenos. And, you know, like he'd be, you know, always arguing about avocados and like, he'd be like, well, I'm not going to buy it from you anymore. Like, and then we'd always be buying avocados from different places because, I don't know if my dad was always just looking for a better price and good, good quality avocados, or uh, um, I think, he just, you know, bullied his way out of every place. I think that that story sometimes gets lost because everyone will say it's like they handpicked every grape and everything. I love but, to romanticize that, place. but no, cierto. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. But I, I think, and also, like we're talking that this is twenty something years ago, where it's like it's very different. It's a very different mm-hmm. atmosphere, and you know. We'll update it with the, your current restaurant, but back then it's like it's price, the margin sheets, the price point for Mexican exactly. food at, at that time. And and could you talk about or explain what the perception of Mexican food was, which has you know for people who aren't aware the second largest uh, 
mm-hmm. like Mexican migrant population here. What was the current kind of scene for Mexican food when you were shopping with your father? Uh, you know, again, like it, it's funny because um, coming from, you know, you know, I opened up a restaurant of my own for completely different reasons than what my parents opened up a restaurant for. So like to me, even when, you know, being going around and, you know, places that we would eat like a lot of those places are still there you know like like from when I was growing up uh so those places are still here and they're still serving the same food like uh but we would go to the mom and pop shops you know like and a lot of those businesses are still there and um what are some of your favorites uh the carnitas joint that we would go and sometimes you know what honestly sometimes I wouldn't I don't even know the name you know like there was uh the original El Milagro uh place where they would make their you know it was like the first El Milagro uh Molino and Tortillería we would get tacos there we'd go to the uh Lalos which is actually like it was a huge staple here in Pilsen they don't, uh my mom when she first came to the states she was actually a server there <laughs> which is so funny um this one place called Mi Casa Mi Pueblo that had, like, it was just a bunch of, like, mothers and abuelas making, like, these guisados and stews. And so these places are still there, you know. Um, I I didn't, you know, at the time, my parents would always, like, uh, take us out to eat from small mom-and-pop shops to, to, like, my mom was always, like, this magazine hoarder where she would... Be like, what's the new hot restaurant? Uh, what's that? You know, Chicago Magazine. You and and we would always go, and she would take us kids. You know, so I, I think I was always kind of exposed to all different sorts of different kinds of restaurants. Um, but we never actually went to like upscale Mexican restaurants. It wasn't until actually, you know, Topolo Bambo, uh, Frontera Girl by Rick Bayless, um, and. Um, that was kind of my first, I want to say I was like maybe 14. Um, yeah, I had to have been like 14 or 13 years old the first time that they took me there. And I loved it. My mom loved it. We were all um, very like proud and happy, you know, like this is so cool. You know, like I love this. And, you know, like, yeah, this reminds me. And also because the, the staff um, um, mostly are Mexican. One of them is actually from... Um, San Luis Potosí, that through the years when I would go to Topolo Bambo, he would always be there and would be like, yeah, San Luis Potosí. Like, so, you know, what was the food scene like for, you know, up-and-coming restaurants? I'm not sure, but I could, I know that that was the first place that I remember going to as the um, upscale Mexican food kind of ordeal. After you worked in your parents' restaurant, you decided to go to culinary school. And most of the places you hear about New York or they go to the Cordon Bleu and everything, you went to Mexico. You went to uh, go cook in Oaxaca. What was that experience? What was that decision? Um, and what do you feel that you maybe learned there that your counterparts who went to culinary school in America or London or Paris mm-hmm. didn't necessarily have? You know, it's funny because um, when, you know, when I had the moment where I'm like, oh, I want to be a chef, I didn't... Um, you know, I went to an all-girl, like, Catholic high school, and I didn't know one person who wanted to be, like, so, like, I felt kind of alone. I didn't even tell anybody for a long time, because I'm like, uh, okay, so I have this, like, larger-than-life moment where I know, like, that I have this calling, but now what the fuck do I do, you know, like, and I kind of just was like, 
Um, and this is early 2000s, late 90s or 2000s? Late 90s, yeah. yeah. And um, so I kept it to myself. And to me, I was like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to start, again, since I went out to eat a lot with my parents. And uh, I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, knock on their door and be like, hey, I want to be a cook. Can I work here? And that's what I ended up doing. But, like, when I finally did tell my parents... Um, I thought that they were going to be like, that's not a real job. You know, you should be a lawyer. You should be this. And they were super excited. And they were like, oh, well, my mom was like, took it and really flew with it. She was like, you should go to Paris, go to Europe and blah, blah, blah. And I was like your typical teenage girl who was totally fancied up with her now husband, but then boyfriend. Be like, but but I'm going to miss my boyfriend. I don't want to go to Europe. How fucking ridiculous. I... <laughs> one of the <laughs> most ridiculous things I've ever said. I'm like, Ugh! like me, 35 years old, looking back and be like, what a stupid girl. You're you know? going to marry him. <laughs> go but to Europe. The story gets better. Right. Yeah. Like, so it wasn't that, it wasn't a mistake. Right. But like, who, who passes up an opportunity like that? Kids do. Right. Exactly. Because we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but, um, and again, funny enough, when I went to, it's not that I didn't seek going to Oaxaca for schooling, my mother actually told me, um, again, there's a lot of women in my family who very much love uh, um, um, cooking and Mexican cuisine in general, like women in my, um, I don't have much family here, mostly everybody's in Mexico and San Luis, and my aunt actually told my mom about this, and uh, um, this school called Seasons of My Heart from Susana Trilling in Oaxaca, but really... She just wanted me to go there. It was her idea. And she's like, hey, I'm paying for you to go to Oaxaca. You're going to stay there. You're like, Oaxaca is this beautiful, uh, has so much culture and food and you're going to love it. I'm like, cool, great. You know, and so I went there and um, it wasn't so much, you know, at that school, it was the first year she actually opened the school. It was, um, and so, you know, like not... Um, I don't know. it was like the first year, so there it's, was a lot of things that happened. Yeah, happened year so, one of right? anything, exactly. And you know, like I really got to. Uh, to me, the best part was really. Um, again, I didn't know it at the time. I just knew I wanted to be a chef and be, you know, have to work on my craft. And I didn't think at the time that oh, I want to cook Mexican food or this is what I want to do. You know, that moment happened later, but I loved it. I mean the. Um, Oaxaca has such a beautiful, beautiful, um, for, for somebody who, you know, I view myself as an artist for somebody who is very impressionable. Like it's like candy, you know, it's like a kid in a candy store. There's so much, um, history, language, music, textures, clothing, artesanías, like clay and pottery and food. And it, it was amazing. You talk about, we always juxtapose the, the, how similar chefs and musicians are. Mm-hmm. You talk about hearing the sauce. You've been well quoted on it. Can you maybe define that a little bit and what it is that, how you could translate that to like kind of being, this is what I want to do, this is cemented by hearing the sauce? Um, no, I think it's something like um, um, when you're focused on what it is that you're doing, um, you kind of give yourself the ability to be in tune, 
you know, uh, with what you're doing and you, that's when you really start feeling and hearing and using, having your five senses open. And that's what that moment was for me. Um, I was, I was making huevos motuleños and I, um, was just really into what I was making and really like, um, it's like when you have an out of body experience and I'm like literally looking at myself and, and I'm like, mm, like I could hear, I, I could touch the oils that are coming out of the peppers that I'm cleaning. I have the chorizo that like I could hear start sizzling in the pan and like it like, you know, uh, morphing into something else, you know, like I could see the tomatoes like releasing their sugars and charring and, um, you know, like hearing the salt, like, so it's like really being in tune with what you're doing and being able to kind of lose yourself in that moment and uh, using your five senses, you know, and that's somewhere during that, that's when it came to me. I'm like, I want to be a chef. Your journeys from leaving um, Mexico to Mitakaya is, is pretty well traced. There is one thing that I uh, was curious about. When your parents opened uh, Hacienda Jalapenos, there was an executive chef that was in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read that uh, you alluded to that you kind of got them removed, mm-hmm. pushed out. Um, what were your methods and what was your point of view? You were all of 20 at a time or 21 thinking that you could run your parents' restaurant. What did you do to get the chef out, and what did you do to convince your parents that you could helm the ship? You know, it wasn't out of savviness. That's the thing, you know. And it, even that, like, I was, at the time, my parents are, you know, um, like radical hippies in many ways. You know, they're, um, they're, you know, p- some people have these, like, crazy ideas. They're the people who just, like, throw themselves in front of them and do it. And they're like, oh, we want to have, you know, uh, like a, upscale Mexican restaurant, you know, like, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's great. You know, that's a lot of work. That's not like what, what you guys do with your taquerias. And so they got this big space and they were in it and they're like, yeah, you know, like we want you to be the chef. And I'm, you know, being that I'm so modest. I was like, no, no, me, I can't, you know, like, but really it, it was coming from being honest. I'm like, no, you know, like I, I don't know. I don't have something to say yet. Like I, I'm, I'm, cooking and you know like I'm a line cook I'm not you know I don't want to have that responsibility nor do I think I'm ready uh but I'm like find somebody I'll be I'll be the sous chef right I'm like I'll be the sous chef you know like so they found somebody and um and again and it wasn't you know anything I do it I, I go into it with best intentions and that like so it wasn't like oh I have to get this person out of like but I just kind of came to realize, I think my parents as well, like all parties involved uh, for the chef, for my parents, for myself, kind of started realizing that, um, you know, he was not the best person for the job, that it was something that I should do. And uh, that's kind of what happened. And I wasn't, in the beginning, I wasn't thinking that I was prepared. But as I was doing, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I I could do this. I do know what I'm doing. Um, And I could create things and I could, you know, like really. And so it just kind of happened, you know, like I didn't really seek out to do it. Do you remember the first dish and maybe was there, maybe learned that that you created that felt was the first thing to tell your story? Mm, Well, I didn't have, you know, like I know I remember some sauces that like I would do that. I think um, it's funny 
to see, um, I don't know about telling, you know, I didn't have a story to tell. I was still very much finding myself, but, uh, sauces like, uh, blood orange, guajillo, salsa, um, that I did with like, uh, Ludomare, like, I still remember thinking about that and, um, thinking like I've, I had never at that point, I, you know, I had never even had a fucking blood orange. Why I thought of that, like, I don't know. And I think that it's like one of those things where sometimes I'm like so scared to, sometimes I would think of ingredients that I may not have never tried or eaten before, but imagine them into like, I did like a blackberry pasilla mole, like, I'm like, I've never saw those things together before. Why I thought to put that into a play, I don't know. It came from something, you know. And, and I, I get scared thinking that um, that you could lose that, you know. That I don't know. I don't know if it's a a talent or a skill or imagination. But like sometimes I don't even like talking about it because what if what if one day I wake up and I lose and I lose it and then it's like shit you know like I don't want to lose that like yeah I don't want to put that into uh I don't know it makes it's scary but it's also I when I look back and I think of those things I'm like oh yeah that was a really great that was a really great sauce you know like we're gonna take a quick musical break play a song from the archives and then we'll be back here on Snacky Tunes
Mitakaya has been open for almost a year. A lot of the things that you were kind of facing coming into this is a similar argument or kind of discussion we've had from other, I don't want to say high-end Mexican chef, but people who are fighting against Mexican food being secondary, made with cheap ingredients, pricing. When you were putting together the concept for the the restaurant, how did you begin to approach and what kind of ideas did you put together to be able to combat that tacos are cheap, it's the same type of food, it's the same items being served, and how do you begin to differentiate yourself from the rest of the landscape here? Um, You know, sometimes it's not... um, I think first and foremost, you know, um, especially, you know, you know, I said that I had that moment when I wanted to be a chef. I had a second moment when, when I... You know, had this moment again, very similar, where I was like, I want to be a Mexican chef. I want to, this is the food I want to dedicate my, the cuisine I want to dedicate my life to, uh, to growing, to learning, to explore, to, um, so honestly, I, I didn't have the plan to be like, oh, well, I want this to say this, or I, it comes from really just as a cook who wants to, play out her ideas and cook this food and share it. Um, all the rest of the stuff that comes with it, like I didn't have a plan like, oh, this is this. And like, you know, that's what I, that's what I put out there. You know, like I put out like, this is you know, like, oh, I want to make this dish. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like, then you create it. And then the rest of the stuff is secondary, you know? So it's more like, you know, oh, people are saying that tacos, you know, like, um, you know, I used to read Yelp reviews um, every day and, like, answer them back personally. And then finally I'm like, this is retarded. This is not the way I run my business. I run my business with the people who are in here. And if and if you could, you know, I ask, I touch almost, I, I touch, like, probably 80% of the tables. And I also talk to the staff every day. Like, if you feel that somebody is not happy or something is happening or, like, whatever it may be, you know, like, we do in-house we deal with this in-house. I don't deal with it with another forum like Yelp, you know, like, um, I encourage people to speak up, you know, not leave and go hide and write on their computers. It like, it's like, I, I find that really, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't really appreciate that. You know, like it, when you see a menu and you see that it's $4 for a taco, like almost everybody looks at menus before they go in. If you have a problem with it and you like, then don't come. You know, like, it's your choice, you know, like, because my pricing isn't going to change. Like, you do not know how much I spend or how much time or what, like, um, so, I mean, if you really feel that raw about it, Don't there's, a, there's a lot of places you could go, go get your cheap taco. Um, um, again, and, and to me, it's, um, do I think that there's a sort of stigma of like that Mexican food should be cheap. Yes, very much so. And I, I find it, um, insulting really, you know, I find it very much insulting somebody who has, uh, researched and, um, researched a lot and who feels very strongly and knows where things come from and knows the time and the elements and the beauty, the complexity. And, um, I find it to be very insulting that somebody could sit there and be like well Mexican food should be cheap I don't care if you raise the chicken yourself the taco shouldn't be I'm not paying more than two dollars I could go down the street I'm like right of course exactly you can you know like 
and those are the people who are catering to the Mexican, like to the American palate that are like, yeah, you know, like they're running a business. They're not doing it for, you know, like it's like my parents when they had the restaurant, it was so they could have, sure, there's a couple dishes that were very special to them and they would create, but they, you know, they were doing like, hey, yeah, like this is the price that we're going to do. This is what we're going to like, you know, it's hard, you know, and I, I really do find it insulting because people will go to places like uh, huge corporate places and pay 24 fucking dollars for shitty pasta, canned, canned tomato sauce, but it's in a big bowl and it has a sprinkle of parsley and shitty manufactured Parmesan cheese. Not even, you know, like pay $24 for that. $24. And you want to tell me that $4 for a taco of, you know, uh, of Two smoked meats. beer canned chicken that is like, I, I mean, I, I care about my ingredients. I, you know, like it, everything is like that takes time. That's like, that, that's too much to pay for four. Like, I, I, I don't see, I, I cannot see that. That's why it's insulting for me. And like, I really feel that, and, and it's racist. It's racist, it's insulting, and I, I think that people should really think before they speak. You mentioned not adjusting your menu for the American palate. Your, your menu is great. It's really adventurous. It's, it's awesome. But it's also a lot of classic Mexican ingredients. Grasshoppers, I think it was like the third menu item. Have you seen a lot of people be surprised and delighted by the flavors they haven't tried? Have you seen the positive side of just being, this is what we eat, please come experience this if you want something dumbed down, covered in cheese, outside the case of Fundido. <laughs> what are some of the more positive you've seen in the year that you've been open? Um, you know, again, it, I, I don't want to sound like it's found like this. You know, like, I opened this place for to have the opportunity, the ability to be able to create food, to, to cook, to, to, you know, and, and like, it is, it is my outlet and what I want to share with people. Like even the queso fundido, sometimes people think like, oh, well, that's just a, you know, a, a dish that everybody, no, the queso fundido actually is a, I love that dish because it's a dish that my grandmother would always make for our cena at night. Like she would do queso fundido, nice cheese with like uh chorizo handmade flour tortillas like it's so everything comes from something you know for me it, it's a way of sharing what I love it's like having like for a painter you know having an art gallery you open it up and you share where you are you share your art you share your love you share you know like so to me that's what it's about you know um for you know I I, I want people to come here to to people who are you know, like, if you want to come here, it's to experience. Just like any time when I go to a restaurant, I'm like, oh, that sounds really good. I want to go and taste. I want to taste it. Like, I want to go. You know, like, it sounds, sometimes it could sound bad when it's like, oh, you're not doing it to cater to the American palate. It's like, well, I'm not doing, I'm not cooking food that people necessarily, it's not like uh, this market research. This is what the people want right now. It, you know, to me, it's, this is what I want to make and I want to share and I welcome people to come in to if, th if that's something that interests you and that you want to taste awesome come it's more like it just so happens that what you're cooking people want to eat and a lot of people want to eat it but you'd still be cooking this if there was a hundred people or one person exactly yes which is great because I love 
grasshoppers mm-hmm. and chicken livers and two types of stewed meats and <laughs> two different types of moles and it's amazing because last night was difficult because there were just two of us and we couldn't narrow it down <laughs> which is and not because it was such it's a big menu but mm-hmm. it's almost like can we just run everything we'll just, just take one of everything <laughs> and tasting we, portion of everything <laughs> we just act, we actually sent the server back twice because we're like we just, we're here we we just have to and we just went back and it was really good because it speaks to a strong menu but also everything was different that's mm-hmm. the thing I, I think that I saw on the menu is that there wasn't like oh it's like four dishes that kind of taste the same everything we tasted had its own distinct mm-hmm. flavor and it wasn't copying on the next dish yeah. which mm-hmm. is really amazing one of the other things that you've talked about in the makeup of Mexican cooking is the kind of disproportionate ratio of men cooking Mexican food professionally versus how many men actually cook it You're privately. really gunning for me. People are going to hate me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that if it's gunning for it. I think it's like there's, um, it's, a, it's about opportunity. It's about trust. It's about seeing yourself in you know, the marketplace mm-hmm. or the business. So... It's interesting to see that you've brought up that 95% of the women who cook in Mexico are in the home, and a majority of the people who cook Mexican are males. How do you kind of rationalize that, and how do you see changes to that, both from the work environment that you have and opportunities you provide for women coming up through the culinary world? You know, I think that, you know, when I, you know, because... Again, when I, when I take a look at it, well, how did this come to be, or how, like, and I, I like... You know, how did this come to be? You know, like people are like, oh, have you noticed that, you know, the Mexican restaurants in Chicago, they're all male, you know, whether they're Mexican chefs or, you know, non-Mexican, uh, but it gets dominated by that. And I'm like, uh, well, I guess, you know, so it makes me start to kind of see and like, oh, and like most of the places I've been to, you know, like most of the places I've been to and I've tasted and like, you know, um, I would say that. I just know from as a cook, sometimes as, so this is the way kind of like I could see how this happens, you know, um, when, when, um, Mexican, um, move in, Mexicans come to Chicago when they start getting jobs and like there's a huge, obviously, workforce and there's a place, huge market for restaurants, right? So they go to these restaurants to become cooks for a job, right? And, um. And they um, start learning um, how to cook with whoever they're working or whatever restaurant, you know, like, and they start to learn how to do the, how to cook, right, um, as for a job. And sometimes, like, I've seen it many times where they'll be like, oh, well, make something Mexican because you're Mexican, like, and, and they won't know how to do it, like, because they've never cooked their own food, their, 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 their wife or their daughter or their mother is the one that does the cooking so they don't just because you're Mexican doesn't mean you know how to cook Mexican food that that's not what that means you know like they they start cooking and they also don't you know their machismo is real you know like they're not gonna go home and ask their their wife or their significant you know like they're they're like oh well how, how do you make this rice or how did you do that like no they just start cooking the way like what they learn and put in you know so you kind of lose this sense of, um, you know, and, and the same question gets kind of applied to, um, to when you start um, seeing, um, when you ask, when people ask chefs, um, oh, well, what inspired you or how did you start cooking? 
I'd say that nine times out of ten, it's my mother, my aunt. Grandmother. My grandmother. Um, and I, and a lot of times, that's, so that is the, like, the, a lot of times it, it's the seed of how chefs first wanted to cook, to emulate their, to, their, their, the food that they're, or how they're feeling, how their mother cooked, or how they felt, or what that dish was, or like, you know, and it's kind of funny, you know, and so for me, like, I also had, like, um, I think as I got older, I've really embraced my, my knowing what is a, you know, like what a woman is, my inner woman, who, me being a woman, and when I start asking myself all these questions and kind of see, like, it, um, and also during this, like, once I, like, kind of had two children, like, it, the whole process really was such a beautiful process it's so beautiful and I've really embraced my womanhood and, and and with cooking as well you know like so when you ask like where's your favorite Mexican restaurant it's my mom's house or oh it's my aunt's people always say that and that's something that I wanted Mitokaya to be like I am a Mexican mother I'm a Mexican American mother and I want this place to be you know the food that your mother made your grandmother made your aunt made like because those are the things, that's who I channel, and that's who I, um, you know, so that's what it means to me, and I was, I learned how to cook with these women, you know, and all throughout my life, you know, I, I spent summers in Mexico, and my, again, my aunt would, loved to cook, and would, every time that we would go to different places, whether it was Chihuahua, or Veracruz, or Oaxaca, or Monterrey, or Tampico, or, you know, like, we would always make it a point to, like, she would make it a point to go to those markets to, like, ask, oh, como haces esa salsa? How do you make that sauce? And, like, and I would be with her, you know? Like, I was her gal pal. She had three boys, and I was, like, her, like, gal pal, you know? Like, and I loved it. And so I remember all this, and that's what I channel. And, like, and, like I learned with, with her, like, oh, that's how you make that. Like, that's how you do this. Like, that's how, and, and so um, I think... A lot of times when we think about like that food, like, that food that your mother made or that food that like my, my kids ask me, like they're like, oh, we went to Abuelas and she makes the same dish, the same guisado de, um, uh, de res that you make. Isn't that funny? Like it was because that's really the food that I'm making here. It's based off of that. So it's like your it's the food food. It's like here, Mitokaya, like my alter ego is the melding of the professional cook and the home cook. It's it, and what a beautiful thing that is you know you have two kids do you cook with them do you have similar shopping moments like you do with your dad do they, are they hunting for the best avocados at 4 a.m on saturdays yes um yes you know the other day uh, sometimes you know and it's sometimes i like i have to stop myself because um you know i'm like tenderizing meat for um making tacos arabes and i'm like going to be skewering that skewering them uh like a kebab like sort of a mini al pastor and um, I had my son because I'm like prepping and I bring my son with me, you know, uh, to the restaurant. And he's like, oh, I want to like, I want to help. Can I help you, Ma? Can I help you, Mama? And I'm just like, oh, he's not going to have, he's not going to know how to do this. He's going to ruin the meat or blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, you can help, you know, like, and like, I just kind of set him up as a station and like give him the hammer. I'm like, this is what we're doing. This is why. And. And it becomes beautiful. And maybe, you know, like, and those are the moments that I remember sometimes. So, like, first, immediately, I'm like, the, like, professional cook, I'm like, no, you're going to slaughter the product. You're like, no. Like, 
but then, but then all of a sudden the mother in me is like, no, yes, help because energy is translucent, you know, like it, it transcends and, and it actually ended up, everything ended up tasting beautifully and it, and he was a part of it, you know, and that's awesome. And there are little things like that, you know, like, uh, making, you know, making chochoyotes, like, and Adriana's like, I want to help, can I do it, can I do it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, professional, come, like, no, you're not gonna be able to do this, this takes high skill, and I'm like, bullshit, you know, like, this is how, this is how you learn, this is, these are, you know, like, this is how you learn, who am I to tell you what she can't, if she could roll a ball or not, you know, and she did, you know, and there are little things, like, I have those moments all the time, and it's, and it's great. It's the balance of the home and the professional. Yeah. Well, Chef, thank you for making time for me. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they make reservations? Instagram, etc. How do they find you? From uh, my home, away from another home at Mitokaya 2800 West Logan Boulevard. I'm always here. Um, at uh, Follow us on Instagram, um, Facebook, and we always post really fun moments of us in, uh, at our Mitokaya family we're going to take another quick musical break from the archives and then we'll be back with the snack the second half of snacky tunes i 
Maybe you're looking for a coat for yourself, or you want a bold look for your staff. You might even need a new style for your restaurant, whether it's modern, industrial, or farm-to-table. Whatever you're looking for, Happy Chef has got you covered. Their wide variety of chef apparel and products are perfect for teams of all sizes and styles. And with the industry's easiest custom embroidery, you can add your logo, name, or fun artwork to many of their other products in minutes. Here's what you do. Visit happychef.com and choose from their incredible selection. With only a couple clicks, you can customize many of their products to personalize your look. Right now, they're even offering free custom logo setup on all orders over $150, a $95 value totally free. Visit happychef.com now to order your free 2018 catalog featuring new styles and incredible comfort. Happy Chef, the perfect style, whatever your recipe. Welcome back to the show. We have Niall and Via from Drama here with us in studio and Snacky Tunes. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. We are big fans of you two and have been listening for well over last year. So we are excited to have you on and playing for us today. Thanks for joining us. Sweet. Thank you. So Via, you actually went to culinary school when you were living out in Hollywood. How did you end up there and what, what took you on that path? Um, I've been cooking since I was maybe like nine years old. Uh, my parents were in a reggae band and there wasn't a lot of time, um, most of the time to cook cause they were like rehearsing or on tour. And so I just started cooking. And so when I came of age to like, you know, start deciding what I was going to do with my life, they were like, well, why don't you go to culinary school? And I was like, hmm, that's a good idea. And so when I was like 16, instead of going to like high school, I went to culinary school because I was like homeschooled up until then. And they enrolled me in a holistic nutrition program in Berkeley. And I graduated from that when I was 17. And then when I was done with that, my dad was like, well, if you really want to do this, you should just keep going until you're ready to, like, open a restaurant. And so he put me in another culinary school in Hollywood and, you know, graduated from there and just kind of started working in restaurants. What was the name of the culinary schools? Uh, Le Cordon Bleu. It was right off of Sunset. And what year was I think this? they changed it. Yeah, what year was this? And what, um, what was the culinary scene 2009? out? 2009. Oh, okay. 2000, yeah, 2009. So kind of 
not the beginning, but toward, close to the beginning of what we are currently experiencing in the modern food scene. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, what were some of the things that you learned in culinary school that you felt applied to your music making? Hmm. Oh, man. I don't know. Maybe having to make recipes. Um, but even then, my music wasn't as structured as my recipe. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I feel like I kind of kept those worlds separate for a long time. Were you performing when you were in culinary school? Oh, no. I didn't start doing shows until I was like 24 or so. Maybe I think I did my first show when I was like 24. So was I didn't it... want to be on stage anymore. I was like, I had started off in, uh, in theater when I was little. And so I was doing a lot of plays and doing like sound and prop design and stage design for uh, a company called Zachary Scott Theater in Austin, Texas. And so I, I really, I, honestly, I don't remember what happened. I just know that something happened and I did not want to be on stage anymore. And so I never planned on getting back on stage again. And um, the music just kind of led me back to the stage. <laughs> what was what was the defining moment that got you back to the stage and, and out of the kitchen? And, and did you really feel that you were going to go on the path to become a chef, open a restaurant, create your own menus, cook for a living? Uh, well, I, I never really knew that I was going to do that. That was just something that um, I knew came with being a chef. And everyone kind of expected me to open a restaurant. They were just kind of like, oh, well, you're a chef, so when are you going to open your restaurant? And I was like, hmm, I don't know. But um, I don't think I ever really wanted to open a restaurant, like, really. It was just, like, a nice idea, um, especially after I got out of culinary school and all my teachers scared the crap out of me. Like, you want to commit suicide? Don't open a restaurant right now. <laughs> and I was like, okay. But um, So it's like, I'll take the other, sh- I'll take the other sure thing. I'll become a musician. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I still worked in restaurants, though, because it was, you know, the only training that I really had. I didn't. I didn't have musical training and I didn't go to like college or middle school or like high school or anything. The only thing that I've ever learned is cooking and then like, you know, being homeschooled, I learned like simple math and history and stuff like that. But I was not paying attention. I was like doing essays on chipmunks and stuff, (laughs) like whatever I wanted to learn about. But um, I didn't like take music serious, serious until I moved to Chicago. Before then, it was just kind of something that I did on my journey to becoming the best chef in the world. <laughs> and now you, you own three restaurants uh, alongside being a producer, right? Me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he does. And um, I, I do. one's in San Francisco and two in Illinois. How did you come to uh, own these restaurants and where did the <laughs> concepts come from? And they're, they're across the board too. It's Mediterranean, uh, South, America, South American, and, and Mexican. Yeah. Um... So, while at some point in my music career, I wanted to like diversify a little bit. So, after 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 I finished a couple of projects, I was working on some projects, and then I was like, I'm kind of like, you know, like I w- I don't want to say like I lost passion, but I just needed something else to do um, at this little like transition period. Because I was like, you know what, music is cool. You know, I've done really well. I want to try to see if I can, you know, tackle tackle something new, and that's what I did. And I had an opportunity. Um, I got a phone call, and it was like, "Hey, we're opening up a restaurant. Would you would you be interested, you know, in being like fifty percent owner?" So I was like, "Yeah, sure, absolutely, man." Well, and then I got into the restaurant business, and for some reason, I felt I feel like the restaurant business and the 
and the music business are very much alike. It's they're probably the most difficult fields to get into and to like maintain and you know and to do. Um, so I started off uh, work. I started off in the um, the first one was a South American restaurant, and then um, like a, two years later, I there was another opportunity to open up a Mediterranean restaurant, and so I jumped on that right away. And I came up with, you know, with a lot of the recipes and the concepts. And then I got another opportunity. I got a phone call. Um, somebody wanted me to consult them on a restaurant in San Francisco. And they, I ended up being a partner with them after everything was said and done. So and what that was, was like Mexican fusion food. And so like what I did was me and Via were working on drama stuff. And I was like, hey, uh, you're a chef. Why don't you come, you know, help me out? And we started working to, together on it. And... And we have an amazing restaurant in San Francisco. <laughs> what was it about your background uh, that prompted that first phone call? Did, did your family own restaurants, or did they just think that you had a creative eye and they knew that you would be good for the culinary world? Um, I'm more of a businessman. I know how to build teams, and so like, like my thing is that I, I don't like I'll do anything it takes not to fail. Like I'll do whatever. Like I'll work, you know, 24 hours in a day if I have to, you know. And I'll do whatever it takes. But like when I got that phone call, I was like, "Hey, this is a good opportunity. I can go ahead and you know learn, and I can you know figure this out." I didn't realize how how hard it was until I got into it. You know, <laughs> I've heard it was you know it's a very hard business. It's it's a very difficult business. But I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna go ahead and take a stab at it." And I was still doing music. Like it wasn't like I stopped. I had I had a studio, and I was still booking um, with artists and doing like recordings and mixing and engineering records. But I would like work at the restaurant during the day and then work on music stuff during the night. But I just did it, you know, like I wanted to, to explore other, other fields. And so I just invested my money and then that was it. And since you work on music together and also you work on a restaurant together, is there any difference in the creative process and creating a dish or creating a song? Um, there are similarities to working in the restaurant. I mean, it teaches you about patience. It teaches you about, um, just dealing with certain things, and that does kind of apply. It does fall over into into making music, and you know, and and producing a project. So, just organization, being a team player. You know, like as as the group is getting bigger, more people are being involved. So, it's just knowing how to, to like delegate and be able to to work with certain people, and keep things moving in a positive way. You know, right. If if you can get food out on the table that's consistent and good, you can definitely help manage a tour. Exactly. Absolutely. So, so I mean, like with my, with me, like with me, it's like nothing's impossible. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I do whatever it takes to get the the job done. You know, and a lot of it has to do with not having any pride. Honestly, it's like saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to put my pride aside. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that that this is a successful, um, you know, a successful project or like outcome or whatever it may be. Can we hear a song? Yeah. What are you going to play for Absolutely. us first? Uh, we're gonna play Fuck Dave. Okay. Well, here we are with Drama, live on Snacky Tunes. Loving you is cold. Loving you is lonely. Loving you is pointless. Loving you is holding
Now, uh, one of the things that I thought was most interesting uh, when you were young and, and early in your production career, Nicholas Jar told you that you should really release your own music. I'm very curious. What does a Nicholas Jar pep talk sound like? <laughs> it's very short. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, um, I met him through a mutual friend, uh, Sami, and he wanted to get us together. At the time, I was working on Acid Rap, the Chance Rapper project, and uh, he played at Soundbar or Spy Bar here in Chicago. And I'm like, I don't really go out much. So I was like, hey, man, you know, like, I'm going to go hear this guy play. I hear so much hype about this guy. So I, when I saw him play, he came by my office the next day. And we talked for about maybe an hour to two, two hours. And I was just showing him music, you know. And then he, he just he like looked at me. He's like, how come you don't put your own records out? And I looked at, my, I looked at him. I was like, honestly, I really don't know. I just never looked at myself of putting like my just music out, you know, just under my name. I've o- I've like always worked under someone else, either you know a rapper, a label, you know whatever, like whoever hires me, like kind of thing, you know. But like I rarely took on, like I I I never thought about becoming an artist, really, you know. Like I was I, I was an artist, but not like an artist to go out there and tour like what I'm doing now. Um, but he was just like he's like, how can we put your records out? And I was like, that's not a fucking bad idea. And so it was just him saying that because I really liked his set the night before and I saw that he like he like he went on stage, he played these records. I was like, this is fucking awesome. I'm like I can do something like this and then I just did it. 
It sounds like both of you were reluctant to become stars or musicians with yourselves at the forefront. Do you think that's what drew each other to drew yourselves to each other, or that's the commonality found in how you created this group? I think that it definitely makes it easier for me to be working with someone who also doesn't necessarily want to be like, you know, in the spotlight or a megastar and doesn't really care about all the flashy things that most people get in the music industry for. Like when I was younger, being a musician wasn't like glorified for me. It wasn't something that like I woke up and thought, I'm going to be a superstar and dance in front of the mirror and prance around and pretend I'm on stage. Like I didn't want anything to do with being on tour and having to deal with musicians wanting more money and like, you know, festival producers not paying you at the end of the day. Like I saw the worst of the worst when it came to my experiences, like watching musicians grow. And so when it came to my turn, people were like, I want to do, I'm going to go to South by and move to LA. I'm like, why are you doing that? And it just didn't make any sense. When I met Niall and he wanted to start a group, I was like, all right, well, you're going to be on stage with me. <laughs> and he was like, no. I was like, yes, now we can both not really want to do this, but we're going to do it. <laughs> what I mean, what are your pep talks or what are your pre-show rituals uh, to get each other psyched up to be on a place that you don't necessarily want to be? We call each other potatoes. <laughs> Come on, Papa, get on the <laughs> <laughs> we do, I mean, we just motivate each other. Say, like, you ready? You know, like, yeah. let's, let's just do whatever we have to do. I mean, honestly, it's really hard to like gauge. You know, like when you're on stage, like you don't, you know, like you want to give it your all, and you you want to you look at the crowd to see if they're feeling it. You know, and it, it's still to, to this day to me shocking when we go to these shows. Like New York was sold out. I was like, I can't believe these many people came out to, to see it. to see us play. <laughs> it still shocks me. You know. Yeah. I think once, like, all of the anxiety and the fear and the not really, wanting, not really wanting to do it is only before and after. Like, once I think we're actually on stage... It's a whole different world. It's just kind of like, oh, we're just up here hanging out. We're it. And it's actually a lot of fun. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, my gosh, can't believe I just did that. Yeah. <laughs> Ready for bed. <laughs> it's like another part of your brain takes over. You're like, I don't want to do it. I don't want right. to do it. You it, black out. I get so nervous right before I go, I go on stage. Like, I oh just don't shake it's sometimes. It's the worst. I, 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 say, this might be I use the bathroom, like, every five seconds, and our tour manager gets so upset because he's literally having to, like, to walk me through the crowd to get back to the, to the bathroom sometimes. I'm like, I can't help it. I'm so nervous. You'll know that you've achieved a next level when your green room has a bathroom and you don't have to cut through the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We have a few, and it's like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. You're like, um, like my writer is a green room. Yeah, my writer is a green room yeah, with a bathroom. My writer is a green room in the bathroom. <laughs> and an actual green room, please. One that allows actual greens. <laughs> Can we right. hear another song? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What are you going to play for us? Uh, this one, we're going to play Low Tide. Low Tide. Keeping it chill. <laughs> I'm not just anybody No, my love won't be taken down by a bullet And I've tried everything But I'm best at disappearing And your love used to bring out the 
have a new ep come out called lies after love uh you talk about it being a much more formal process than the previous record what was the approach and what did you learn from the last time and and what did you do differently on this one Mm, i think things um we kind of went into it the same exact way we we went into gallows the thing with us is like we continuously like make music so we just work on music and then eventually it starts to piece itself together. Yeah. The conversations we have outside of making the music piece the actual project together because the project's always based on our actual lives. <laughs> like, it's, it's always that. So the music comes first, and then, you know, piecing together, everything else comes after. But I think the one thing that changed with this would be that... Well, I can say that for Niall, because Niall spends 50 hours on all the songs, no matter what. But I <laughs> feel so, like we both, you know, took a little more time with, with the songs on this one and, like, each individual song and, like, going back and recording things and changing, like, bass lines or drum patterns and as opposed to the first one with just, like, lots of freestyles and first takes and, you know, just going with the flow. Do you ever, are you ever in the, working together on making a recipe and you have to stop because you find song inspiration or vice versa? Um, I don't really thought about that actually. No, we we keep a lot of it separate. Yeah. Like, even though we might talk about the thing, like we'll be doing music and we talk about like how we have restaurants, we'll be doing restaurants and like playing our music at the restaurant, but we never are like at the restaurant talking about rehearsal or at rehearsal talking about the restaurant. I'm sure. just like an emergency. Yeah. We get a phone call at the music video, and we're like, "We have to fly to San Francisco right now." Yeah, <laughs> which has happened before. <laughs> yeah, which has definitely happened before. <laughs> but it's not too much of like you know. 
But my notebook is definitely filled with recipes on one page and song lyrics on the other. You're like, oh, wait a second. These lyrics are actually just a chicken adobo <laughs> recipe. I'm so sorry. An English pea soup with cardamom actually would be perfect with this song right now. <laughs> I've always thought, uh, you know, everyone knows about the car test for playing your music, but I've actually never heard about the restaurant test. Do you play your songs or tracks in the restaurant just to see people's reactions? Oh, before yeah, you yeah all the time. Really? All the time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All the time. And people walk in there, they're eating, and they come up to it, like, oh, what are you guys playing right now? I'm like, oh, this band drama. Yeah. <laughs> they're pretty good. So you can check them out. <laughs> Do you ever, have, has there been any tracks that you were both split on, like, should it make it on the P or not, and you play it, and it, it didn't make the cut because people's reactions were mm, subpar? Um, I've played some songs live prior um, and just just to kind of gauge, you know. But for the most part, I mean, it either it goes like on this EP or it goes like on a future EP, you know. Like I don't, we really make music like we just don't like you know like how Beyonce like makes like a thousand songs before she she does her album. Like we make songs, but like they're they the majority of the time go on a project always yeah. for the most part, you know. I would say like maybe seventy five or eighty percent of the songs that we make don't go wasted yeah. at all. Why do you think that is, or what do you think it is about the process that just gets those songs out there as opposed to, you know, you hear people make, like you said, you know, hunt a record and scrap the record and start over and no one will ever yeah. hear it. I think we, when we go in, it's like we're, we're, we're working. Like, we're going to create music that we're, like, we don't have a lot of time to waste yeah. between all the restaurants and, you know, the recipes and, like, maintaining. I mean, we, we really are traveling a lot for both music and for, like, business stuff, you know? Um, so, like, when we work, it's, like, we really, really work. There's no, like, playing around, you know? And I think a lot of the... I'm not saying, like, a lot of artists, but, like, I'm sure, like, a lot of artists, there's a lot more leisure, you know? Like, when we work, we're in the studio for 12 hours or 8 hours, whatever, and we're actually working on records, you and know? And just us. We don't have, like, an entourage yeah. of people with bottles and, like, people smoking and coming in and out of the yeah. studio. There's no, there's no like, entourage. When we turn on this computer to work, like, we close the doors and... We just, you know, kind of shut the world out. And we really focus on making, like, a good record. We're not, I'm not just, like, getting in there talking about, you know, what color shoes I have on and how much money is in my wallet right now. I'm, like, thinking about... It's a job. Impactful, you know. Essentially, messages. essentially, I mean, when I think about it, I mean, I, I know the word job it has, like, a negative kind of, like, thing to it, but it's, yeah. it's a job, you know, and you and you have to treat it as such if you're serious about it, you know, mm-hmm. which is why I'm able to run three restaurants and a digital agency and still tour and make music, you know, um, it's just, you have to dedicate yourself. And that's something that you, you have to remind yourself every day. I mean, you can waste time and we all waste time as, as humans, you know, but if you focus on the goal and you dedicate your time towards that goal, there's no reason why you can't achieve it. You know, but my biggest thing is, is when someone says, I have, I have no time. It's like the that's like the biggest insult, honestly. You can insult yourself with saying, "Well, I don't have any time," and this is that's the reason why I, I couldn't accomplish what I want to to accomplish. And it's like, come on, man, that's a cop out, you know. Speaking of packing things in, you have a tour coming up in June. Where are you hitting? West Coast. Yeah, the West Coast again. They love us. And the West Coast for a couple of shows, and then in September we're going to the Middle East to play and to actually work with uh, in a refugee camp um, in Bethlehem. Uh, v and I are going to work with, with some of the youth and kind of, you know, give them inspiration that there's more than their surrounding living situation at the moment, you know. How did that come to be? Um, I, I did a workshop last year 
with this, with uh, with an organization, and they brought me out to to work with the kids, and then they just emailed me actually not too too long ago, and they're like, hey, we want you to come back, and so I tied in, and we're like, we're already gonna perform in Palestine anyways, so I tied in this with it as well. So you know, we try to just maximize on all of our time that we're there. So, Elizabeth is the king of maximizing time. Yeah. I'm talking like... There's no downtime, you know? What? I feel we're going to miss our airplanes sometimes, like, no, all the time. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, there's always, you know, we, a lot of structure, and <laughs> we try to waste no, no time and try to, you know, maximize on what, what we have to do. Yeah. Make the best out of it. Incredible. Well, we want to make sure we have time for one more song, but where can people find you, listen to the EPs, check out your tour dates? Um, you can find us uh, the drama duo.com. Yeah, the, the drama duo, or you go to Spotify and type in drama. Yeah. Um, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, YouTube, the yeah. whole. The and whole it's all today. the same. Just look up the drama duo. Yeah, or or drama yeah. Chicago, either one. Yeah. Perfect. Well, we want to thank Chef Diane for being on the show as well. Thank you to Drama for joining us. We will be back next week with a new episode of Snacky Tunes. What is the name of the last song you're going to play for us? Safe House. Amazing. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.